if we haven't met yet, I am Sarah. Um, I joined KXC a few years ago. Uh, when I moved from Toronto to London, I came over to study, and I found KXC, and the rest um, has, is history, really. Um, so we are, we are going to be jumping into our teaching series called Origins. And if you have missed previous weeks, in this series, we have been looking at the story of the early church. And to do that, we've been looking at the book of Acts. But before we jump in, I just want to pause for a second to ask you to think about the question, what has shaped you? So to become the the person, the individual that you are today, what are some of the things that have shaped you? I'm just going to get you to, to take just a few moments and see what sort of things pop into your mind. I'm not afraid of awkward silence. So I'm sure for some of us, experiences came to mind. And probably both the good and bad experiences. For others, maybe you thought about your faith, where you grew up. But I think for a lot of people, significant people in our lives would have come to mind, particularly parents, maybe even grandparents, the people who have gone before us. And that's because our history, our origins, the people who have gone before us, they have the ability to shape who we are. They have the ability to speak into our identity and our purpose. I want to just give you a little example of what this looked like for me. Um, my Oma, and for those of you wondering what an Oma is, it is a German grandmother. Uh, for those of you who have Omas, you know how amazing they are. Uh, my Oma, she fits the stereotype, so she pickled everything. Uh, you know, we went over to her house as kids, we went to visit her. Dinner at Oma's was strudel, uh, German cookies, and cake. And for some reason, my parents were okay with that. But we, we were loving it. And, you know, you could tell Oma survived a war because her cellar was absolutely stockpiled full of food. And my siblings and I, we would actually frequently raid this cellar. We went over to visit her. My parents don't actually know that, so hopefully they won't listen to the podcast. Um, <clears throat> but my Oma grew up in a German Mennonite community. And she was German, she spoke German, but she grew up in the Soviet Union. I think it was modern-day Ukraine, and she grew up under Stalin. And at the time, Christianity was really persecuted. So my Oma told me that her parents didn't actually tell her about Jesus until she was a lot older, because they were worried as a really, really young child that she would blurt something out, and that would put her life in danger. Uh, My Oma's brother, he was an artist. He's a really gifted painter. And one day he drew this this painting, or I should say he painted this painting, um, and, and his neighbor happened to see it. And his neighbor ended up reporting this painting to the local authorities. And it must have been in some way offensive uh, to the government because a few days later, some men showed up at her house, my Oma's house. They knocked on the door and they took her brother away. And he was sent to a work camp in Siberia and they never saw him again. It was heartbreaking. 
A few days after that, the same men showed up at my Oma's house, knocked on the door, and they took her father away as well. And again, she never saw him again. Now, I'm sure like a lot of your grandparents, uh, my Oma's life was really impacted by World War II. So she spent a lot of her childhood as a refugee, and she was moving around trying to escape the different waves of violence um, that was sweeping through. And, and like in all wars, where there's so much chaos and breakdown, people go into survival mode, and, and they, they, they start to take advantage of each other. And what happened was communities, they were turning against each other. And my Oma, she ended up being taken from her mother and her sisters, and she was taken to a different town, and she was forced to do unpaid labor on a farm for about five years. It was essentially slave labor. And she was treated really harshly. She always said it was one of the hardest times of her life. But eventually, as a young teenager, she decides that she can't take it anymore. And so she decides she's going to escape. And so that's what she does. In the middle of the night, she runs away from this farm. But unfortunately, the farmer, he tracks her down. He confronts her on the road. And my Oma told me that on this day, she saw an angel. Because in the middle of the night, out of nowhere, this man appeared, and he told the farmer, it's no longer legal to keep unpaid workers on your farm. You have to let this lady go. And miraculously, he did. And she escaped, and she joined up with her mother and her sisters. Eventually, uh, she met my opa, so my grandpa, and they ended up getting married. My opa actually became a Christian in a British prisoner of war camp. And then the two of them decide to immigrate to Canada, where I'm from. I think they had seen so much violence in Europe, they just wanted to get away from it all and start again. I have got the privilege of working in the aid sector. So I work with a network that supports communities that are impacted by conflict and displacement. And looking back, I definitely think that my Oma's story, her experience, was one of those things that motivated me into this line of work. Because all of a sudden, these abstract issues, refugees, conflict, displacement, and all of a sudden, these things become a lot more personal. And so her story started to impact my own, and eventually I decided I, I wanted to, to work in this area. And that's because our, our origins, our histories, the people who have gone before us, they have the ability to shape our identity and our purpose. And it's the same thing for the church. In this series, we have been looking back at the very first church. Because when we do that, you know, as the church today, as KXC, we discover something about ourselves we discover something about our identity and our purpose. And so that's what this series has been about. And that's what we're going to continue doing today. And so the, the lines of scripture we are going to be looking at is Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And we're just going to read it in a moment. But before we do that, I just want to give you a little bit of context before we read these lines of scripture. Uh, so in Acts chapter 1, the resurrected Jesus, he appears to the disciples for a period of 40 days. And then, all of a sudden, he's taken up into the sky. 
And there is this picture described in Acts chapter 1, and I think we can actually get this slide up, um, that says that the disciples were just standing there staring into the sky. Now, I'm sure if you were one of the disciples in that moment, you'd probably be thinking, wow, I just saw a miracle. That was amazing. Jesus just disappeared. But I wonder if other questions started popping into their minds. Things like, oh no, Jesus is gone. Jesus just left us again. What are we supposed to do now? We're screwed. And all of a sudden, these angels, they appear, and they must have startled the disciples. And they say to the disciples, why are you standing there just staring at the sky? In other words, what, what are you doing just standing there? Don't you know you've got work to do? Get on with it. You're Jesus, he already showed you what to do. And so that's what the disciples do. They get on with it. And they start meeting together and praying. And we know that the Holy Spirit comes in power, and that's Pentecost. And so the book of Acts is really just a story about the Spirit continuing the work of Jesus through the disciples. That's what it's all about. All right, so let's read this passage together. Um, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. If you got your KXC Bible, it's page 1094. So here we go. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now that is the very beginning of what we call church. That's what we're looking at today. And there is so much going on in this passage. This passage is, is about community. It is about generosity. It is about miracles. It is about evangelism. There's so much going on. But for me, when I look at these lines of scripture, and when I think about the early church, there's a few things that really, really stick out to me. And the first is, is that this community that we're seeing in Acts chapter 2, it was constantly changing. So we know from the scripture that they were teaching each other, which means they were learning. We know that they were growing. So people are coming to faith. The church is rapidly expanding. And we know that they're breaking down walls and boundaries that had existed for a long time. So at Pentecost, when they receive the gift of tongues, the Holy Spirit comes. All of a sudden, they can speak these languages that they weren't able to speak before. And they're able to communicate to people they weren't able to communicate with before. And we're seeing these walls and these boundaries between people just falling down. If you've been in church circles for a while, you've probably heard someone say, we need to be like an Acts church. In other words, we need to look like them. We need to do what they did. And, and personally, I've never actually liked this phrase. Because um, I don't know about you, but I don't really want to be a part of an Acts church. 
I want to be a part of a church that is living and breathing and full of the Holy Spirit that's impacting my city, London, and the world in 2019. And we can't forget that the church in Acts, it was never a static thing. It was constantly changing. It was constantly transforming. And that's because they were on this journey with the Holy Spirit, and they were being transformed. And thank goodness they were. Let me give you a little example here. So we are looking at this church in chapter 2. But in chapter 11, the Jewish Christians that are a part of this church, they decide to let Gentiles, so non-Christian uh, or non-Jewish Christians into their community. They decide to let outsiders into their community. And what happens is, is that the Holy Spirit intervenes and gives Peter this vision that Jesus' mission and, and the Spirit is for non-Jews too. And before that moment, Jewish Christians in Jerusalem were a part of this church. They were actually pretty bigoted. And I know that sounds incredibly offensive, uh, but by today's standards, they were bigoted. They were completely intolerant of outsiders. But we know that the Holy Spirit intervenes, and all of a sudden, the worlds of these early Christians, it just gets so much bigger. Their worldview is just blown out of the water. And the Spirit has continued to do that throughout history. And that's because the nature of the gospel message is that it is expanding. So it can never be put in a box and never can be kept captured by this small little bubble of people of the perfect theology. And people try, but it doesn't work. The nature of the gospel message is, is that it is expanding. And so the church that we are seeing in Acts chapter 2, it was amazing. And if we look around this room today, we are literally sitting here because of the work that these early Christians did, trailblazing with the Holy Spirit. But we can't forget that this church is also made up of normal, broken human beings who fell victim to flawed thinking of their time, that the Holy Spirit was transforming and the Holy Spirit was changing. And I actually find this incredibly, incredibly com uh, comforting because I used to read Acts chapter 2, and we all long to see this stuff, right? We long to see miracles. We all want to be filled with awe by the Holy Spirit. We want to see people come to faith. But these, these early Christians, they seemed so perfect and so radical and so devoted, and I would put them on a pedestal, and I would forget that they were actually flawed human beings like, like you and I. And so what I would do is I would totally discount myself from believing and expecting that God would move the same kind of power in my life, in the life of my community. Have you ever done that? Do you ever read lines of scripture or hear someone else's testimony or hear how God has moved in someone else's life in some other country and some part of you just automatically discounts yourself from believing and expecting that God would move the same way in your life. It is a lie, and it robs us of so much. And for those of you who find yourself in this position, and this is me, a lot of the time, we can ask God for the gift of faith. This is a gift that God wants to give us. 
And so I'm reminded when I look at this early church that when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we never stay the same. We're not static. We're constantly learning and growing. And I find that incredibly exciting. Again, if you look around the room, the Spirit isn't finished with a single one of us. Where you are right now is not where your story ends. We should all be excited. We should all be expectant because the Spirit changes us and transforms us. You know, for those of you who have been praying for breakthrough and you haven't seen it yet, for those of you who've been asking for the Spirit to show up in your life and power, if you've been asking for a particular gift, I want to encourage you to keep pressing into that. You know, approach this from a position of faith because with the Spirit, we are never static. We are constantly transforming. The second thing that I notice when I look at this chapter is that the Holy Spirit is setting up the church, right? So we're seeing the very beginnings of the church being created. But the Spirit isn't setting up the church to be an institution. So with all of these really rigid rules and boundaries and structures that we need to try to replicate today, it was actually pretty messy. and It was pretty organic. And, you know, institutions, they're actually not that appealing anyways. Uh, because when you look at institutions... Most of them eventually exist for their own survival. That's what institutions do. But what the Spirit is doing is the Spirit is setting up an organism. So this living, breathing community to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. And what was happening was that certain practices, or to put it in KXC language, certain patterns were being put in place to keep the church alive and well. So things like meeting together to pray and to worship, learning and growing through teaching, breaking bread together, just remembering that everything we do ultimately revolves around the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus because that changes everything. Being generous and compassionate, actually having a faith that impacts the real world. At the same time, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and these practices lasted, and they continue to shape the church today. They continue to shape this church, and that's a really good thing. Because these patterns and these practices, what they do is they make the church the church. And, and at the time, and this is still the case today, these practices, this way of life, it was just so countercultural that people were seeing these Christians and they were caught off guard by their lifestyle. They're startled by these Christians and so they were attracted into the church. They were curious. I, um, I invited a friend to KXC a little while ago and she had never uh, actually been inside a church building before. She had never attended a church service. And when the worship started, she just started bawling. She wept, and she wept through the entire worship session. And the next week, she came back, and she did the same thing. She just completely broke down during the worship. You know, if you have never been into a community before, you're corporately praising God together. It is powerful. It's also pretty weird. It's pretty scary. It might be pretty uncomfortable. It's completely countercultural. This stuff isn't normal. And if, that, if that's you today, if this is your first time at KXC, 
Uh, and maybe you've got questions. Maybe you're a little bit freaked out. Maybe you're a little bit out of your comfort zone. Firstly, we would love to talk to you afterwards if you have any questions. But secondly, we will actually buy you a drink after the service. We figure if you can get through the entire service, you deserve a drink. And if you are under 18, don't go talk to Kath Carter. Come talk to me. I'll see if I can pull some strings for you. I'm joking, of course. And just back then, these, these practices, they challenge and they stretch us. So we're, we're talking about a church that's deeply, deeply, deeply caring for each other. We're talking about radical generosity, people backing the church financially in a really, really sacrificial way. When you read about this community and when you see the patterns that they had put in place, where are you challenged? What's uncomfortable to read? That's probably the thing the Spirit is speaking to you about. And the third thing I notice is that right from the get-go, so right from the very beginnings of the church, the church was actually having an impact on the world. It was actually continuing the work that Jesus had started on earth. In, uh, in the humanitarian sector, you come across so many situations where you realize that everything that you and your organization can possibly offer, so things like food, water, health care, shelter, they are just completely inadequate in the face of so much human brokenness and suffering. There was this situation in Central African Republic a few years ago, and this is still actually the case today, but there's so much violence on the ground that humanitarians were struggling to deliver aid. It was just too dangerous. They're actually being kidnapped um, when they tried to drive around. And, you know, if aid distributions did happen, what was happening was that local community members, they would hire armed protection, so local security guards, people who'd show up with weapons to help these community members get their bag of rice or their bag of flour home. Because what was happening was, if you didn't have armed protection, and that short walk between the aid distribution center and your house, you would be attacked and robbed by your neighbors. And so the fabric of the society it had just completely fallen apart. And the sad thing was, was that the humanitarian system there was also completely messed up. So there's a few people in the humanitarian sector, and again, these are people who are supposed to be standing alongside vulnerable people, fighting for justice. You know, a few had abused their power, and there was this big sex for aid scandal that had broken out where a few had used their power to trade uh, sex for food. And so when I arrived at Central African Republic a few years ago, there's so much anger and animosity towards aid workers, and rightly so. And I just kept looking around, and I was thinking, you know, what can I possibly, possibly do here? What am I even doing here? And what this situation needs is Jesus. And at the same time, in places like this, you come across missionaries who are preaching the gospel and traveling from village to village, spending a few hours preaching, packing up, and going to the next village. And, and just to say here, 
I can't emphasize enough how important it is to share the gospel. It is extremely important. If you missed Caleb's talk last week, I'd really encourage you to check it out. But in contexts like this, when you're preaching, packing up, and leaving, you know, unless poverty is tackled, and, and I'm talking about the kind of poverty that means parents are selling daughters into really early marriages, or the kind of poverty that means men are way more likely to pick up arms. You know, poverty like this, it has a real spiritual component to it. Unless poverty is tackled, people are trapped in these cycles of oppression. Something I love about Jesus is that his salvation message, it was huge. So the world is broken in so many different ways, and Jesus never focused on a small little spiritual element of that brokenness. He wasn't a preacher. He wasn't a humanitarian either. He said, I came to give you life and life in all its fullness, and he meant it. We know that he spoke truth into people's lives. He loved people. He showed people what their true identities were. But at the same time, he spent a lot of his time and energy tackling injustice, oppression, healing diseases that were trapping people in poverty and shame. And that's because his understanding of salvation, it was huge. And so this passage that we're looking at, it is about the beginning of the church it is about the Holy Spirit showing up in power. It's about people coming to faith. But it is just as much about people being saved from, from hunger, people being saved from greed, people having a roof over their head, people being part of a community that deeply cared for them so they actually had their basic needs being met. And that's because the first Christians who spent a lot of time with Jesus they had a really big understanding of salvation. And just like the very, very first church that we're looking at, the church is still called to be a compassionate and a generous force in the world. Do you know, um, today, if a humanitarian disaster was to happen right now, so some sort of natural disaster or some sort of man-made conflict and people were really desperate, and they were vulnerable, and they were displaced. Do you know how long it would take for the UN to get aid on the ground, the people who desperately, desperately need it? It would take about three weeks. So the aid sector, it's complicated. The UN is a huge organization. It's run by governments that don't always get along. But it would take, on average, three weeks. And do you know what happens in those first three weeks when people are the most desperate and the most vulnerable? They definitely don't just sit there, <laughs> would you? Um, I think that's sometimes uh, the only picture we get to see coming from the media. But what they do is they start organizing. They start responding. Local community members, they are the real humanitarians. These are the people doing the heavy lifting. And a lot of the time, this is the local church. And that's because the church, it's there first. KXC has this relationship with this amazing church in Lebanon. And a few of us have gone out uh, to see this church and spend some time with them. 
And it's amazing to see how the church in Lebanon is caring for Syrian refugees who've crossed the border and made it into Lebanon. And it's the, it's the church that is standing with children who are traumatized by war. It's the church that's providing people with food and with shelter. And so what's happening is, is that these Syrian Muslims who've crossed the border, they are shocked by the compassion and the generosity of the church, and they are attracted to the church, and they are meeting Jesus. And we hear so much about the devastation in Syria and the region, and it's true, and it is heartbreaking. We hear less about the wave of the gospel that is spreading through that region of the world, and it is so exciting. And so what I love about the church is that it always has been, right from day one, a generous and compassionate force in the world. Just um, a little side note here. The data shows us that millennials, we like to back a cause. So we like to back Compassion Ministries. If there's some sort of crisis, we will financially back it. We will respond. And this is amazing. But the data also shows us that millennials, we don't really like tithing too much. We don't like regularly backing a church financially. Now, if you look at KXC attendance and growth, it has really skyrocketed, and that is amazing. But the giving hasn't. I think sometimes we forget that when we back a church financially, when you regularly back a church, what you are doing is you are supporting a generous and compassionate force in the heart of London and in the world. So to wrap things up, um, you know, for those of us who feel tired of church, you're wondering what is the point of all of this? Maybe it took a lot of effort to get here today. You kind of find yourself a bit disillusioned, maybe a little bit on the sidelines. For those of us who feel lost or stagnant or kind of stuck, we can gain direction from the people who have gone before us. And I think that picture in Acts chapter 1 of the disciples just standing there and wondering, what do we do, staring into the sky, just sort of lost and confused, I actually think that's a picture for all of us. And just like the very early Christians, we are confronted with that exact same question. What are you doing there? Just standing there staring at the sky. Don't you already know? You know what to do. Jesus has already shown you. And so just like Christians in the very first church, we know that we are called to pray, and we are called to worship. We're called to invite the Holy Spirit to fill us and transform us, and we never stay the same with the Spirit. Just like the first Christians, we are called to love each other deeply in this community. I think um, for a lot of us, when we're approaching church, the thought patterns in our mind go something like this, and I'm guilty of this, <clears throat> Who's going to talk to me? Who am I going to say hello to? Who am I going to sit beside? Who am I going to hang out afterwards? But I think for some of us, we're being challenged to change our posture towards church. Imagine in that short walk you have, maybe from the tube up into this building, if you ask the Lord, what can I do for the people in this community today? Is there someone who, who you can show me a picture for? 
Is there someone I should be praying for? Highlight that person in ministry so that I can step out and pray for that person. Is there someone in that cafe who's kind of on the fringes who I can make to feel welcome? And for those of you who find church kind of stressful, awkward, maybe a little bit boring, you might find when you change your posture towards church that it gets a lot more exciting and a lot more worthwhile. And finally, just like this very first church, we are called to respond to the gospel message, which is ultimately a message about generosity. It's a message about God giving everything to us, including his own son, so that we can have freedom and fullness of life. And we respond to that message of generosity by becoming a generous and compassionate force in the world. What does radical generosity and compassion, what does it look like in your life? What could it look like?